episode 98. Episode 98 of The Brian Oak Show. Thank you very much for tuning in to this podcast. Comes out a couple times a week. And here we are on another gorgeous, gorgeous upper Midwestern fall day. A little cool, a little breezy, tons of sunshine out there. Colors look fantastic down here by the creek. We are broadcasting, or rather recording, if you will, in the Smart Start MN studio in lovely South Minneapolis on 48th and Chicago. And it's nice to be back here. My name is Brian Oak. That is Sean. Hi, Sean. Hello. Welcome back from your adventures. Thank you. It you, was kind of amazing in many ways. So. Yeah, you went to Colorado. I did. I did. Uh, long, for those of you that wonder why I was traveling in COVID, I have an uncle that's in failing health, and we, he wanted to do a bucket list trip. So we did that. I'm just going to share that and uh, really had a phenomenal time uh, taking the train through the mountains. I oh. was telling you this off the show just a little bit, but it, what kind of surprised me is every smoke break... <laughs> Like, I'd go out for fresh air. I don't smoke, but right. uh, whatever people do, that's their business. But went out to get some fresh air, and I'm doing the air quotes, quotes right now. Uh-huh. People just getting baked to the bejesus belt well, while it, they're going on the, I mean, the let's, train. Let's be honest. It is, it's legal to smoke weed in Colorado. <laughs> no, I know. Exactly. And, and, so and people, they do. <laughs> and so, I mean, but it, like, so people just went out on the platform, got completely roasted, and then oh, came yeah. back in for the Oh, yeah. Too. Like, and you know, that, that thing like... Like they're on a timer because yeah. they are. Like <laughs> we have a five minute train stop. They're out there just. <laughs> you, know, hey, you want to talk about a bad situation, man? I mean, like because all of a sudden you are freshly high in the beautiful Colorado <laughs> mountains where your oxygen levels are low, your weed yes. levels are high, and you're like, bro, where's the train? What did we? Oh, and then suddenly you live in Colorado, which may not seem like such a bad thing at the time, but if you don't time that break perfectly, you're stoned on the platform waiting for the next train. Yeah, there weren't any fights on the train ride. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, it's cool, man. Pretty mellow. Well, it's Col- cool. Taking the train through Colorado or Wyoming or Montana, it's some of the most beautiful areas of our entire country that I think a lot of people haven't seen. I've been through Montana by train, oh. I don't know, a half dozen times. It's gorgeous. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Good to see your face. While you were gone, you did miss some important things. And no, I'm not going to talk about politics or the election or the Supreme Court because I am I have reached massive saturation. Yes, it's still important. I've already voted. I'm paying attention, but we're not talking about it on the show today. What we're going to talk about today is the power of rock and roll and the ability of music to move you. Over the weekend, I saw that at the last minute, late last week, I saw that there had been some country performer whose name I can't even remember scheduled to perform on the second episode of the season of Saturday Night Live. The next day, photos, you know, because you go to New York, you're on somebody else's ticket. So he goes to a massive house party where no one's doing any social distancing, no one's staying in the bubble, and they shut him down. They're like, you're fired. And he was was very sorry about the whole situation, made his apologies everywhere, but too late, it's over. So who fills in at the last possible minute and comes in and not only does an adequate job of being a backup, but comes in and blows away the last 50 live performances or more that I've seen on Saturday Night Live, none other than Jack White. Jack White of Third Man Records, of The White Stripes, The Rack on Tours, The Dead Weather, his own solo career, and many, many other projects. The guy is, I've always been a fan since I first heard their music back in the year 2000. They go back a little earlier, but I hadn't heard of them by then. But for the last 20 years, Jack White is up there with my favorite American music Anything. I mean, the White Stripes, if it weren't for Queens of the Stone Age, White Stripes would be my favorite band of the 21st century. Oh, they're unbelievable. And I told you again off the show that I really liked them until I saw them live. And then I went, holy shit, is this good? It just... Blew my hair back. Unbelievable. The performance of Jack White and his incredible band on Saturday Night Live, it was just two songs. And... The thing he taps into, here's the deal. You know, people keep talking about what a brilliant guitarist he is, and he is. I I don't put him in in the realm of a Hendrix or anything like that, but I do, I can promise you this, that there is not anybody out there making music today or involved with music at that level that truly believes in the transcendent power of rock and roll like Jack White does. And he's able to articulate it, and he's able to... I I don't even know where to start with his performance on SNL. I mean, obviously we lost Eddie Van Halen, so it was nice to see his tribute there where he starts, you know, he does the double tap there for a little while, brings in a little eruption. Um, 
but then to bring in old-timey blues stuff and stuff that's just as timely today as it was then, bring in some of his own ball and biscuit. He was doing medleys that did... Medleys normally feel cheesy as yes, hell. Yes, These weren't cheesy at all, and I mentioned that as soon as I heard it, I'm I, this is Destination Television for me, and I watched it Saturday, and he absolutely freaking delivered. And the great thing is, if you're somebody who like just came to Jack White, or you're like, I guess I've listened to a little of it, he's got so many records through the White Stripes and his various projects, and his last three solo records well his first three solo records technically um they're all excellent and he he kind of painted himself into a corner with the white stripes in terms of the sound but towards the end there he was already starting to experiment a little bit but watching the sort of technicolor explosion of who he's become and the directions Uh he's gone since he has gotten kind of he literally i mean sometimes it's a little confusing because he's going all over the map (laughs) especially on that last record boarding house reach but his passion and his love for what he does and his belief in the transcendent power of rock and roll i think in this day and age is unparalleled and i have always been and continue to be a massive fan of jack white Maybe not for everybody, but if you love the power of rock and roll, sort of that reckless, benevolent, grinning fear that is supposed to be equated with when music grabs you by your lizard brain and shakes you, Jack White totally understands that, and every facet of the music he's created, he strives for that, and it's one of the reasons that I love him. I believe him. I think that's the bottom line. I've said that to a lot of our guests. The people that impress me most from an artistic standpoint... I have to believe that they believe, and I absolutely believe that Jack White believes. It was a great performance. If you haven't watched it, you can find it all over the Internet. Go back and check out what he did on SNL this past Saturday. That, by the way, 
was the White Stripes off of the 2003 release Elephant, which is, in my humble opinion, is the best in their catalog, but there's so much to choose from there. It is the Brian Oak Show. Coming up, we'll talk to our guest who knows a thing or two about music and how to get it into your own hot little hands, especially in this day and age where we are not allowed to go see live shows. Man, I saw Jack Jack White live just a couple years ago. Yes, I saw him twice on that tour for Boarding House Reach, once in Atlanta and once here at the Armory. Remember live shows? Yeah, I really, really miss them. Yeah, yeah. Well, luckily, there are still ways to enjoy music even without live shows, although we're all very seriously missing them. I do want to mention the Brian Oak Show is made possible by Smart Start MN. Smart Start MN, first and foremost, does not want you to drink and drive, but they do exist in case you do drink and drive and you get yourself arrested and you lose your license. You need to get back into your vehicle. Smart Start MN is Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. They are the ones who put this system on the map, got it up and running in Minnesota. Of course, there are other carpetbaggers who moved in on their action, <laughs> but they are the ones who put this together, and they're good people. Sean and I know them, and we've worked with them now for, man, believe it or not, coming up on a year, 98 episodes into this, and they've been with us through this whole stupid time that we're living through right now, and they're there for you as well. They're not there to judge. They're help. They're there to help you get back into your vehicle. Yeah, go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show for 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock. We are joined in the Smart Start MN studio today by a man who is a Southsider himself. We're on Minneapolis's amazing South Side right now, and that's where he uh, cut his teeth in his youth and then lived a fantastical life of doing sound and other things. And these days is a he's the proprietor of Mill City Sound in Hopkins. Now I call Mill City Sound the best record store in the Twin Cities, not because its owner is sitting across from me, nor because I draw a paycheck from that place. (laughs) But, you know, when I realized I was going to need a part-time job, I reached out to Rob because I I genuinely believe, and no disrespect to the other record stores in town, I love that we live at a town and in an era where there can be multiple great shops. But when it comes to volume and the curation of that volume, I honestly believe that Mill City Sound is the best record store in Minnesota. That I've been. And that's not saying you shouldn't check out the others. The, the, the others don't have something to offer. But I've never really been in a place like Mill City Sound before. And its proprietor, the man behind the dream, Rob Sheely, is my guest right now. How are you doing this morning, Rob? Great. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing very well. Is it, uh, is it warm your heart to come by the old neighborhood here? Oh, it's great! In fact, I had to I had to drive by my old house that I grew up in, and I'm a Washburn graduate with that, and. I grew up on the south side, and it's just amazing. Yeah, well, it's beautiful down. Did did the house look anything like it looked when you grew up there? It kind of did. The only thing that was different is I I don't remember the two guys standing in the alley smoking, but I guess that was me and my buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Rob has explored the perils of rock and roll decade, and so you grew up on the south side, and your love, I mean, we're going to get to your love of records and these massive record buys and stuff you've gone on, but I think before someone becomes a real fan of records, and you know, you were a sound man for a very long time, did sound, somewhere before all of that, working anywhere adjacent to or in the industry, the music bug has to bite you. Do you remember when it happened in your life like when you're like god damn i want to be around music yeah for me with this was about 15 years old with this and um i had a um issue with my childhood with this where i had to be um incarcerated for about six months with that Mm -hmm. and um uh the place i went to with this um they had used music therapy with that and music was one of those things that um i was always kind of around but there was a guy there that was really, really a record collector. And he was one of those guys that, you know, I was at the time, I thought I was really cool because I was <laughs> listening to uh, Savoy Brown and Fleetwood Mac and all of these artists that were kind of in my genre with us. And Uriah Heep and Deep Purple was just coming out. And mm-hmm. I thought, this is, this is amazing. But this guy said, you know what? This is really cool. But let me pull you back. Let's go back to what these guys were listening to. And all of a sudden he started bringing in Holland Wolf and he started bringing in Muddy Waters. Mm. He started bringing in little Richard and all of these great, great artists from the fifties. And and all of a sudden I realized, wow, there's roots to this music and there's a whole lot of stuff that exists. And then that's when it started. All of a sudden it's like, well, if I'm going to listen to um, Hellbound Train by Savoy Brown with this, and also I'm going to find out, oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of, 
stuff there that relates to Elmore James, which was a slide guitar player that uh, the lead guitarist for Savoy Brown really, really liked. So he did that. Or the first time I listened to Peter Green, started listening to all the stuff that early Fleetwood Mac and uh, started realizing that, oh, my God, there's a whole bunch of stuff, chess artists, that they were into and stuff with that. And that's it starts the whole thing. And, and I think that record collecting in record collectors in general with us, what happens is that we get sucked into this. It's not just about the artist. It's about what's the artist listening to and who are their influences and what do they do and stuff. And the more you do that, the more you jump into it. And it's kind of like once you go down the trail, you're gone for good. Yeah, with the rabbit hole. I mean, it's (laughs) immense and has so many different little tributaries on it. And we've talked about that here on the podcast many times, um, that connective tissue. of, And that's one of the things that I love about working at Mill City is, you know, you flip over the back and you start to recognize names and you start to connect the dots of who worked with who and where some of those influences come. And I love those stories. And so you find out that this is a... It's well, basically, music is a story that goes infinitely in both directions. You can keep going back to find the roots of it, and it's going to keep moving forward. And so the tree will keep going that way. But the further you go down into the root system, the more and more and more there is there to find. And one of the best ways to archive that is collecting records. And I have to remind myself, and Rob will attest to this, (laughs) I have to remind myself on an almost daily basis that you can't own all the records. And that is one, it's both, it's both a blessing and a curse to work at a store with so many brilliant records in there mill city sound you started how long ago six years ago and clearly you were collecting records before you decided to start a record store 45 years 45 years (laughs) of collecting records did you just collect so many that you had no choice but to open up a record store or what was the impetus because obviously you loved vinyl the whole time you didn't get rid of your collection as many of us didn't but a lot of people did well and frankly still do leading to why why there's so many good records available but you hung on to yours was it because you just had so many or what was the actual impetus to do it well the real reason is is that um i was um going through a career change and i'd kind of uh, been involved in technology in fact i was involved in electronics with that and and, um, owned a couple of electronics businesses with that that were fairly successful and when I retired with this, I was 58 years old. And I told my wife that, you know, I don't know if I can just sit at home all day and just kind of <laughs> stare at TV and stuff like that. And uh, I always had this wild, crazy idea that I love retail and I love customers and I love the personal contact. And I love talking about music. And I thought, I'm going to start a record store. In fact, I told my wife that a couple of years before I retired. And and, um, and what did she say? She says, yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know it's like yeah i talk about a lot of stuff sure you're gonna do that yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. and uh and uh when i got closer i went out and started looking at and bought a building and started renovating it and pretty soon like i say i started a record store and um it's um one of those things where when you start it with this you started for all the wrong reasons i mean Typically, when you start a business, the idea is that you have a plan. You're going to make money at it. You're going to go at it. You're going to, you got, you got the specific task you're going to do to get to the point in Nirvana, which is making money. And when you start a record store, it's not about that at all. What it's all about is how can I find the most cool records? How can I find the most stuff in a store? So if somebody walks in a bin, pulls out a record, goes, wow, is that cool? Because that's what it's all about. It it's, happens every single day I work there. Somebody comes up, and if they're not, I mean, if they have like a dour face, then I, I will look at the records as we're checking them out. And I, you know, if, if there's one in there that I love, I tell them every time because that, that to me is the joy of it. You know, retail does have a side that some people don't enjoy. But, <laughs> when you, but, but everybody who comes in there, unless they really had their heart set on something they couldn't find, everybody who comes in there is leaving with something they're going to go enjoy immensely. And that's a feeling you and I both know. Oh, yeah. And what's really amazing is, they're happy. Yeah. They're happy. I mean, I get guys that come in the store with this. They'll spend two hours. They'll find that record, and it's like Nirvana. Yeah. They're so happy about it to find that thing that all of a sudden they've been looking for, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, I found this really, really, really cool record with the Zombies, Odyssey and the Oracle with that, and it's like, I've been looking for that for years. Isn't that cool? And then they'll start talking about the songs and stuff, and the connection that people have with music, I always say people, um, when their music collection or their music albums with this, it's like a scrapbook of their life. Every record represents a period and a lot of a memory. Yeah. A lot of people, when they pull out a record, they go, oh, God, I knew what I was doing, where I mm-hmm. was, who I was dating. I mean, 
it goes through the whole thing because that really becomes a timestamp to a point in their life with that. Um, you know, um, you know, we went through a collection the other day with this, um, and we went out and picked up a collection and, uh, this guy's talking about, Oh yeah, I bought that record there and I bought that record there. And, and they, they go through the whole thing because they remember that's kind of what they do. Well, we, uh, I mean, we're going to talk more about your picks because you, you know, people will bring records into the store, but you are also really well known for going off to take a look at some of these large collections when they become available. I mean, that's where you get, I'm a big fan of the show American Pickers and oh, yeah. that's what they do. How do they get the stuff in their stores? They go all over the country to yep. find the very best of the stuff. And what you do is not very dissimilar from that. I mean, it's, it's, it's just specifically it's records, but you, over the years, you've gotten to know what to look for. You've been on some legendary buys. You've got another big one coming up here shortly. We're going to talk about that. But at the heart of this all, whether you're doing a business, whether you are collecting records, whatever it is, it's the love of music. That is what is at the heart of it for sure. It, it, you've got to love music. And on our most recent show, we looked at the the roots of Power Pop with a guest that I think you're also familiar with, one Rick Menk, drummer yeah. for Matthew Sweet. And I know that you and Rick share that, that particular trait. You both are deeply in love with Power Pop. We're going to hear a little yep. of it right here. Here, tell me why you wanted to pick this song by this band to play. Oh, because this is Material Issue, a band out of Chicago, mm-hmm. a great, great band. Um, they were one of the, uh, what I call the rent, the revival of power pop with this, along with Matthew Sweet and a number of other artists that kind of came out of that period. Uh, Tommy Keen, I mean, we can go down the whole list with that. But um, Material Issue is one of those bands that um, they never got really the credit they should have gotten with this they uh, were kind of underground um and um i picked this song because it's a perfect song it's a perfect pop song i mean the great power pop songs they just incite this it's happy i mean it's you just you you listen to the song you go wow is that great and uh valerie loves me is one of those songs
It turns out, once again, our guest, Rob Sheely, proprietor of Mill City Sound in Hopkins, is absolutely correct. When he described it as a perfect song, I was like, well, I mean, it's super good, but perfect. And then I listened to it. And whether we're talking about content, form, production, execution, subject matter, you're right, Rob. It's a perfect song. It's hooks all day. It's total hooks. And it's all about melody with us. And great power pop songs have a great melody, got a great hook. They get in your brain they won't leave one of my favorite i mean there are many things i like about working at mill city sound one of them is you have sort of final say on because you, you got to have music on at a record store, right. right and you have final say and luckily rob will bring in his case of records every day and will sometimes vary from that center central playlist but it's always filled with amazing power pop or brilliant songwriters so i'm always like okay cool by me i mean there's something that takes the tedium out of one's day when you're listening to amazing music the entire time it is the brian oak show more with rob here in just a moment but but first, I do want to remind you to, when you can, if you can, support our good friends at Busters on 28th. They are another supporter of the Brian Oak Show. They are a local, I, I don't know which term I hate more, bistro or gastro pub. But, oh. I, but I feel like that helps people understand what they do. <laughs> they have really good food, but they don't art the living hell out of it. It's just really <laughs> good food. And they also have an amazing selection of domestic and imported beer and wines. And they're open for business. If you feel comfortable in this day and age going into their place, you're more than welcome to. Or you can go to bustersontwenty-eight.com, order online and swing by and pick it up curbside. And then head down to Lake Hiawatha on this literally picture-perfect day. They're right there on Lake Hiawatha. And um, and I don't know, sit and enjoy your food outside before that's no longer an option. Yeah, waning days of the picnic at the park. Go get it... Uh you know, you can get a curbside to go still. You can go in and pick it up inside, whatever you want to do. Well, our guest is Rob Sheely of Mill City Sound in Hopkins. And yeah, I just wanted to mention that I uh, was thinking about this. So I, I kind of, I would consider myself somebody that's a music fan, but I'm kind of, you know, bachelor degree type. Yeah. And you guys are professors of musicology. Oh, well, that's a, I mean, he's the dean. You're the uh, dean. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, you're right. Rob's I, the dean. But the, the I was thinking about the highest compliment I think I could give you was that is that musicians love your place. Yeah. And how many people have come in uh, over the last year of doing this show where they say that's where they go to pick up their music? And I just was like, wow, what a what a high compliment you know, that that's giving you. What a great endorsement that that's where the real music fans go to pick up their albums. Well, one of the, I think one of the things that, Rob's, that Rob does that makes that, that sort of sets Mill City apart is the way you curate it. You know, you go out and you look at these collections or people come in and you, I've seen you buy a lot of stuff and I think you pay really fair prices, but you also, you want, you know what's good to have in the store. I mean, there are some stores that all they get is what walks through the door and I think it reflects in their collection. You know, I mean, the reason I think that musicians come in or real deep music heads is you head downstairs into the country section and there's pretty much everything you could ever want from old school country. You go into the used jazz section and it's surprisingly deep. Like, I mean, yes, there are the standards, but there are things I've never even heard of down there. And I think that's what people are looking for. People want to know that there's at least the possibility of finding an actual gem, like a gem gem every time they go into the store. And that's that's the that's the magic of a great record store. The a great record store understands the customer and kind of what they're looking for with this. And, and musicians are very unique in the fact that, you know, if they're, um, if they're an American artist, for example, with this, and I don't want to mention names, but a big one in town with us comes in quite a bit with that. And when he's looking at that, when he wants to listen to Merle, he wants to listen to the early Merle. And when he wants to listen to Willie Nelson with this, he wants to listen to the old, old, you know, Willie Nelson, when he was in Nashville still, when he was doing some of his traditional and standard stuff with that. And, or they want to go back to the, you know, uh, the Carter family. They want to go back to the Stanley brothers or the Leuven brothers. And those were all artists that basically still impact the sound that we listen to today with that. And has he been on the show? The artist we're talking about. Yes. I think I know who it is, but okay. I won't say it. I okay. won't say his name. But, uh, Does it <laughs> rhyme with Jen Stubeck? Could be. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I had, we're not hurting anybody. No, no, no. I love that guy, by the way. He's a good that's, guy. That's he, who it is, isn't it? One, one of the most infectious smiles I've ever seen in my life. So, but the way that you're able to populate the store with that kind of stuff, and you know, I mean, again, people will come in and you can find, not just find it, because you take real great care in the quality of the merchandise you put out as well. It doesn't just have to be cool or interesting or important. The record's got to be in decent shape before totally. you put it on a shelf. And you know, some records are common enough that 
that they're two ninety nine. Yep. Other records are so rare. There's a five hundred and fifty dollar record by an artist I've never heard of hanging up on the wall over there. <laughs> but again, that's why you're the one doing the pricing. So in order to find these gems, in order to you know, because again, some things are going to be beat up. Used records is your bread and butter. Although right. there's a huge new selection and CDs and things like that. Used records is the beef and the real heart of what happens at Mill City. And in order to keep that selection as good as it can possibly be, in order to make sure that there is a regular rotation of these two certain people, priceless gems hidden in there that makes it worth digging through the stacks every time, you have to reach far and wide and take a look at these big collections because a lot of times something golden will be hidden in there and just have been sitting for, in some cases, decades. What was the first great big buy you went on like where you're like, okay, this isn't a joke. This isn't me driving over to a house to look at a few hundred records. This is a proper Indiana Jones record hunting style adventure. Well, let me, uh, well when I when I was first opening the store with this, and uh, was we were in the construction phase, and we were getting it all ready to be open and stuff with this. Um, I had a guy call me, and he was from Fargo, North Dakota, and he says, "I heard you're opening a record store." And and uh, when he said he heard he was opening a record store, I was actually advertising Goldmine Magazine that I buy record collections anywhere in the country. So I was getting people calling me from California and Texas and Indiana, Virginia, all these people just with records and, and big collections. And the reason I advertise in Goldmine is Goldmine is a collector, a record collector magazine. So they got the cool people that have a lot of really obscure, very cool things. Because you got to remember... My big job, I tell people, what do I really do? I hunt for records. All the other stuff in the store, that's okay, but my main job is to hunt for records and find really cool stuff with that. But So anyhow, this guy calls me in Fargo with this, and um, this is a funny story with that. But he says, you know, I, I, I'm i a jukebox guy. And I said, what do you mean jukebox guy? He says, well, I buy jukeboxes and I renovate them. And, you know, and, and in the industry, you have people that have jukebox routes or vending machine routes. And what they do is they put jukeboxes and pinball machines and all the coin-op uh, video arcade systems with this in, in bars and nightclubs and restaurants all over the country with this, and they manage those. Well, in the old days, they used to get records, and they put them in the jukebox, and uh, that was part of the deal. So they'd buy these p- packs of records. Typically, there's 25 records in a box and they were buying them uh, from their distributor with that and they'd go out and put the record in so all of a sudden they get 25 copies of um you know like say uh shiny happy people you know rem with this and uh they'd go out and all the college stations and all these college cool. clubs and they'd go put that record in because people were listening to rem right and then mm-hmm. at that point whatever they had left in the box they'd kind of put somewhere and they'd store it somewhere and maybe if they needed them they'd pull it out and put more in but a lot of times they never used them again so jukebox operators were like a big big source for a lot of records so this guy calls me up he says you know i bought this jukebox operator out of fargo and he says i just wanted the jukeboxes i didn't want anything else and i don't want the records and i said you don't want the records? <laughs> and all of a sudden the antenna went up. And I says, oh, I says, oh, so where are you located? He says, Fargo. I says, I can be there tomorrow. <laughs> so, Goldmine? I, oh, I Goldmine. I get in the car. I drive oh. up to Fargo, North Dakota with this. And um, my wife is with me as a, uh, as a how can I put it, an unhappy volunteer. With <laughs> <laughs> and we're... Uh, we're up there with this, and all of a sudden, he says, I says, well, where are they? He says, well, go to my, I got the storage locker and stuff with this, and um, in West Fargo, by the mall there with us. And so I go over there, and it's like the whole thing of finding it, and I get there, and I meet him at the front, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go to the storage locker and find all these records. And he says, no, he says, follow me here, and we go all the way back and get the back, and there's an insulated milk truck. Wow. You know, like the milk trucks they used to do the deliveries. Wow. Uh-huh. It's full of records. And I says, why in the world did you put all these records in a milk truck? He says, because it's insulated and they won't get hot that way. Look at that. And I went, oh, my God. So all of a sudden you open up the back doors of this milk truck and they're just full of boxes and boxes and boxes of 45s. And he says, you want them? They're all yours. And so in essence, I kind of went through them and I says, well, and I was a rookie at this. I had no idea how to value that many records (laughs) and stuff. I'm just looking at it. And and so I, I did the the real crazy so what do you want for them oops <laughs> and he says 
normally that's not, you kind of want to do the valuation and say, this is what it is. And you know, give them an idea. And he says, well, I think these are worth like $10,000. And I says, well, I don't know if they're worth $10,000, but you know, let me look at them and stuff with this. So I started going through them and stuff. And I says, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what to say here with that. And his wife comes up to me, the, the guy that had the records and, <laughs> and she says, do you want them? Take them. <laughs> Wow. So, the price so, is right. So she says, once you figure out what they cost, send us a check. And that's what I did. So wow. basically I brought oh, them back so and, and we did it. It was funny with that. But I always tell my first big collection was in a milk truck. And, mm-hmm. and it kind of starts the whole thing with that in Fargo, North Dakota. So, well, and I know you've gone much further and much wider. And we're, we're definitely going to talk about more of those. But we should get in one more song. And I love that you chose this particular artist because, well, we we lost him to yep. COVID-related compilation, comp, uh, pardon me, complications this year. And growing up, my dad was a mega fan. So I was privileged to find out about John Prine, I think, before a lot of people that a lot of people knew about John Prine from the time that amazing debut came out. But it's nice that in recent years, probably in the last five to 10, he really started to get the the do that was was his. And what made me think of this is that, you know, the bass player on the uh, Jack White, uh, basically, when he did the Saturday Night Live, he is wearing a prime shirt. Oh, really? And why was he doing that? It was John Prime's birthday. Look at that on Saturday. Well, perfect. John Prime, a little common sense for once on The Brian Oak Show. You can't live together. You can't live alone. Considering the weather, oh my, how you've grown From the men in the factories to the wild kangaroo Like the birds of a fella, they're gathering together And feeling exactly like you They got mesmerized by lullabies And limbo dancing pies Don't make much sense, that common sense Don't make no sense no more Just between you and me It's like pulling when you are to be shut Take off your hat and they'll read you your rights. You'll wanna get high every time you feel low. Hey, Queen Isabella, stay away from that fella. He'll just get you into trouble, you know. But they came here by boats and they came here by plane. They blistered their hands and they burned out their brain. All dreaming a dream that'll never come true They don't give me no trouble Or I'll call up my double We'll play piggy in the middle with you You'll get mesmerized by alibis Limbo dancing class Please lock that door It don't make much sense That common sense Don't make no sense no Oh, another excellent pull there, Rob. Little John Prine with Common Sense. John Prine, another one of those American singer-songwriters who 
you know, he finally started to get his due. And among people who were know-it-alls about music or other musicians, he's revered like a legend, you know, and slowly but surely starting to get his due. Again, we lost him this year due to COVID-related complications. But John Prine's catalog, another, I mean, and they just did all those reissues, yep. right? Another great way to go back. And while I think he wrote quality music throughout his career, he's one of those artists I would advocate going back to that self-titled debut yep. and listening chronological order to see how he grew and how he changed. But that 70s output, especially that first half of the 70s output, it's as good as American singer-songwriting got. Yeah, his, four, his first four records are classics. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, the first, second, third, or fourth record with this, and uh, they're they're all great with this. And what's what's interesting about John Prime with this is John Prime was one of those um, uh, satirical uh, singer songwriters that really wrote a lot about what was going on in the times with mm-hmm. that. So if you listen to you know some of the stuff like Sam Stone and stuff mm-hmm. with that, it was really kind of about the American condition with that. And uh, he was uh, one of the first people, you know, and, and obviously Dylan and everybody else kind of did that. But John kind of put it in a different terms with that. And what was interesting about John is that if you look at like Common Sense, that was actually recorded in Nashville with that. And uh, he got all, a lot of Nashville musicians and stuff. And uh, when they released that with us and stuff with us, it's it's an amazing record with that when you hear the whole thing with us. And it's uh, one of those... Um, records that, like I say, it holds very well with that. A lot of records tend to date after mm-hmm. time with this, but uh-huh. this is one of those that it doesn't date. Uh, interesting enough, they just did the reissue of the first four records with this. We sold out of half of them virtually within the first day. Yeah, I, I was there that morning, and I remember I'm like, these self-titled debuts are not going to last the day. I said, if one <laughs> makes it past lunch, it's coming home with me, because it's one of those that I already own two copies of, but they're both from 1970. They're right. both beat to hell, and so I was like, I'd love a clean copy, because it's my favorite record of his, and they were gone before lunch. <laughs> That's just how it works sometimes, and you never know, you know, so I expected that Run the Jewels to be gone before lunch that same day, too, and we still got a couple copies of that one, but that's life in the record industry. Before we talk more with Rob here about life at Mill City Sound and going on these epic record uh, picks, we should mention that Sean Bernard also a sponsor of the Brian Oak Show and still busy selling houses. I am. I'm a realtor. So even though I was out of town, I was working on uh, a few different things and signed a purchase agreement for a client uh, from the train in Colorado. So that was interesting. Uh, the, the coolest thing about my job, I had a, I had a client say, actually listeners of the Brian Oak Show, and they just said, we love the fact that you actually care about us and you're communicating with us while you're dealing with this other family stuff that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. And I just said, you know, I think I'm at that point in my life where it's not about the money. I love meeting new people and caring about my clients and helping them through what is an incredibly stressful thing to do Mm -hmm. to buy and sell a house. I wish there was no stress with this. There there's going to be stress. My job is to mitigate stress uh, to care about you through the process and hopefully make you laugh. And that's the great thing about these listeners of the show is we've had some incredible laughs through some times where you want to pull your hair out because somebody you're dealing with is being unreasonable. So right. so if you know somebody who's in the market to buy or sell, 612-859-2594, that number is also text-worthy. Speaking of buying and selling, Rob, you have been on no short or small number of epic record digs, record picks, record buys. What is the, and again, I, I ask you this because your personal collection, just to, I don't even want to start talking about 45s today because you, you have a problem and we're not going to have that intervention yet uh, when it comes to 45s. Um, but you have an incredible collection. You've got the best record store in the upper Midwest, in my opinion. So I want to know, like, you've gone on these other picks. You've gone to different parts of the countries. What is the mega? Like, what is the the pick that you went on where you really couldn't quite believe just how many records there were? And, I mean, if you ever felt in like you were in over your head at any point. Totally. I mean, the, probably the biggest one most people re- think about is they always think about the Big Start or the Big Spring Texas collection. And that was a... Uh, that was the record store in Big Spring, Texas. It was actually called the record store. Okay. And it was started uh, by a guy named Oscar Glickman in 1954 with us. Mm. Um, Oscar was a jukebox guy who had a jukebox route. And he's basically, um, he would uh, refill jukeboxes all around uh, West Texas and um, Western Louisiana and, and uh, 
part of, um, like I say, also the northern part of Texas with that. But his job was mainly doing records with this for these jukeboxes. And then he'd, he'd end up with these packs, right? I said of 25 records, you'd have a few extra. So he started peddling them out of the back of a building in Big in Big Star, Texas. And uh, one thing led to another. In 1954, he decided he better open a record store because it was getting really busy in the back of it. In fact, uh, talking with um, one of his relatives later on with this, and it, it's amazing what he did because he was actually, believe it or not, he was from New York City. He moved all the way to Big Spring, Texas to do to take over this jukebox route with that. And uh, so he wasn't a native Texan at all with that. But uh, started the record store. I uh, grew really big because um, there was not a whole lot of record stores in in, in West Texas. And uh, West Texas had a lot of people like Lester Flats and Willie Nelson and um, a lot of people that were um, what, I, what I call Texas swing musicians that were in that area. And they started frequenting his shop with it and starting to come. So he had all these big guys kind of hanging out and stuff with that. And, you know, just Willie Nelson coming to your record yeah, store. Exactly. No big deal. Damn. Exactly. Yeah. Was Big Spring near Austin or where is it? Big Spring is uh, next to uh, Midland, Texas. Oh, right God. There. I lived there for a little while. Midland? Awful, awful place. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's like it's, it's just there's oil fields and a lot of bigotry, <laughs> but well, but hopefully this music store was great. Well, but, I mean, but what a weird place to find a, yeah. a record store yeah. that big, yeah. kind of in the middle of nowhere. So, so it was interesting. So I get a call one day uh, from this lady, and she says, I got your name from Goldmine Magazine once again with that, and said, uh, you buy record collections. And I says, sure. And she says, well, I'm in Texas. And I says, Texas, okay. I says, where in Texas? She says, Big Spring. I go, where's that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she says, well, it's next to Odessa Midland. And I says, where's that? <laughs> right. And I says, Austin, Dallas, Houston. She says, well, way south of Dallas and south of Austin with that. And uh, I'd been to those two places before with that, but never been there. And she says, you know, and um, it's an old record store. And she says, what happened? And she says, is that uh, there's a bunch of records that, this record store had they moved them all in the basement because the guy didn't sell records anymore and he wanted to sell military surplus oh and i says okay and she says do you want to look at it and i thought about it I thought, well geez i'm have to fly down there and it's going to cost some money all that type of stuff and i thought you know and this was my first big pick you know and um i thought about it and i says well let me give you a call back and then uh, i started thinking about it, thinking about it i says well it sounds mysterious enough. I should go down there. Yeah. So I told my wife I was flying down to Midland, Texas, and then this woman was going to pick me up and bring me to this record store and let me go in the basement and take it out and take a look at it. And my wife said, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she did not go on this trip with you. She wasn't going to be a helpful hand on this one. So right. I flew down there with this, and um, this woman picked me up, and I – and uh, Got down there, and I was going to spend the whole next day, you know, kind of going through the records and doing the inventory and stuff. And um, so it was about 4.30 by the time we got to Big Spring, Texas. And I says, can I at least go in the store and just take a look just a little bit before I, um, I say, before I, the next day, so I kind of have an idea what I'm up against. And I'm thinking, well, there'll be a few boxes, maybe some stuff. But I wasn't thinking there was going to be this monster collection. So she says, sure. So uh, she gets a key for the building and uh, from the people that are managing the property. And then, in essence, uh, we op- open it up and I go up and I'm looking around all this military surplus on the first floor and go, what the hell am I doing here? You know? <laughs> uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, then there's this little stairway that goes down the stairs with it. She says, well, hold on. I got to get the key to open the door for the stairway. And then we open the stairway and I go down there and she turns on the light. And all of a sudden, I see these rows and rows and rows of brand new records that oh. are still sealed from the 60s and the 70s wow. and 80s. What? And they're just sitting there doing nothing. And I'm going, oh, my God. <laughs> and it's hard for me to estimate I, big numbers. How, how many records do you think were down there? 100,000 records. 100,000 records. Oh. Yeah. There was between the 45s and the albums, there was about a hundred thousand records. Wow! And I literally had to sit down because I was hyperventilating. <laughs> I was, I was like, "Oh my god!" 
And I started going through the bins. And all of a sudden, the lady's like, oh, it's 530. Remember, we got reservations to go have dinner because she wants to, you know, they say we're, right. we're going to have dinner. She was and I left. And unfortunately, I shouldn't have went there because do you know what happened? You thought about it all night? I thought about it all night. And guess what I didn't do all night? Uh, I'm going to go with sleep. Sleep. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't sleep. In fact, when I got back. You're a kid on Christmas Eve. When, when I, Except Christmas is going to take a month. When I, when I got back to the hotel room, I'm like, oh, my God. I called my wife. I started rambling on rambling. She said, so wh- what's your point here? You're going to buy the records, right? I says, yeah, I'm going to buy the records. She says, okay, bye. You know, and um, <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah, I was I was like super excited. She was excited for me, but but yeah. the reality is just like it's it's, it's your deal, you right, know, whatever. Right. You know? And uh, it's it's a uh, it was amazing. I mean, I literally thought about it all night. So the next day, I get there and I got my little pad of paper and I'm kind of making notes and I'm going through all these records and stuff and going, oh my god! And I'm pulling through and I go, oh, there's 25 copies of phases and stages, Willie Nelson, which is like. Mm a really, really collectible record with this. There's 15 copies of Iron Maiden's first record. Go on. Sealed. <laughs> sealed. Right. I wow. mean, you're going through this. I'm going through Black Sabbath, Paranoid. There's nine copies, original copies of the original uh, Paranoid, Black Sabbath record. You're just going down the rows, and I'm just going by alphabet, and so I'm just saying, oh, what artist do I like? Let's go over and see if there's any XTC. Oh, yeah, there's some XTC there. Oh, look at that. Oh, my God. And then going down the other aisle with us, going, oh, let's let's go see if I can find some John Prime. Oh, there's John Prime there. Look at that. Look at all the John Prime. Uh, Prince. I mean, he had a whole bunch of Prince. I mean, there was in stuff. In the middle of, like, West Texas. In the Texas. middle of West Texas. <laughs> crazy. In the basement. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Parliament, Funkadelic. Wow. I mean, all of that stuff. All right. the classic music from that period. It was all there with us. And uh, so she comes down about 1030. And I'm trying to keep my cool, you know. Right. Comes right. Down like, not show like your cards. Not show like you're cards. doing a really good job so far. Rob. Yeah, it's, it's like... It's like <laughs> And it's like I got I got all these notes on the paper, and I've got like twenty pages all scratched up with notes and quantities and all this stuff. And she looks at me, she says, "So, what do you think?" And I says, "Okay." I says, "This is really, really good." I says, "Yeah." She says, "You want to buy them?" I said, "Sure." And she says, "How much?" And uh, I looked at it, and she says. The owner would be acceptable with a dollar record. That's a hundred thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot of money. And I said, I'll do it. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I say, uh, luckily, my wife was very, very understanding with that, and she didn't care that we had to, you know, mortgage everything we owned. But it worked out okay with that. But well, then, um, I mean, you you can't. You're not going to see that again, right? You, nah, you can't. You can't say no to that. No. And and it's it's uh it it was amazing about it is it wasn't just the records it was literally the Star and Tribune did a big article on it and right the current did some stuff on it with this and a lot of people covered it I got so much mm. PR and so much social media on that because that's like one of those cool things like finding a record store frozen in time it's like finding a unicorn i mean yeah, totally you unicorn. could find an old record store that's got you know some good stuff but not in the volume or the quality that you're talking about i mean that's that's like the fort knox of old records right there yeah and it's it's interesting i mean because i mean as we're still pulling records out and uh-huh. and people go down there and then we pull records out to bring upstairs to refill the stock and refill the bins and you know the vinyl vault a lot of people have a lot of misnomers about the vinyl vault but the biggest thing about the vinyl vault is there's certain records you sell all the time yep it's like uh, well carol king tapestry i mean we sell one or two of those every week because you know like say it's it's still a big record fleetwood mac rumors we sell every week it's hard to keep rumors in the store yes that and the other the self-titled one the sort of the first uh buckingham nicks one those are very difficult to keep in the store because they sell all the time they're iconic right yeah and there's and there's these what i call these titles that basically they're still classics i'm fleetwood uh like say steely dan asia everybody wants to have that with us or there's a um like say redheaded stranger willie nelson with us everybody wants to buy that or like say uh the um i say and and those titles um they're always going to be there i mean and some of them surprised me i mean that literally it's it's when i first opened the record store and all of a sudden i realized that i couldn't keep abba in stock i went what the hell's going on here i was just going to say the same thing (laughs) i've I've restocked the abba two dozen times (laughs) for those of us that did club dj work for a while i know why yeah like anytime i wanted the women to dance 
Put Abba. on a little Abba. Yeah, absolutely yep. right. And suddenly the hands were up in the air, yeah. and Dancing Queen was happening, and it was it was all good. So, Rob, let's fast forward to the modern day, and Mill City Sound is doing very well. In fact, despite uh, the COVID era, or maybe because of it, or some combination thereof, you're doing better this year than last year. Yeah, we're up about 18% over That's the year fantastic. before with this. And Which, I mean, with, with financial uncertainty and everything else, but also people need something to freaking yes. do, man. Let's yeah. listen to records. It's it's one you got to remember with this. I mean, I, I think the you know the whole stay at home and and do stuff at home with this, and we can't see shows, right? Right. And we have you know I say, and so it's like we're buying a record, when, we're playing it. That was my point early on. Is like you know there's still ways to get music into your life, and um, I just I think this the store does a really good job of it. The thing I want to close with is this um, from the time. So I've always loved records. Right. I like I remember the ones I bought back in the 70s and 80s and I never got rid of them, although I did, you know, move over to CDs for a while. But I never got rid of any of my old records and I still would go to record stores, use record stores when it was not cool, when there weren't places you could buy new state of the art turntables. And it looked like it was dead, except among a very, very sort of elite hipster crowd right <laughs> I mean, seriously or otherwise people who could afford seven thousand uh, dollar audiophile turntables right, exactly and so but i mean people there there's so much stuff that just never came out on vinyl or it was very very restricted and then to watch it kind of grow again so my daughter is now 22 years older is going to be in less than two weeks um from the time that she was little, I would bring her with me to record stores because, you know, and she's someone who grew up in the era of grab a free song off the Internet or download whatever you want or stream whatever you want. I have no beef with that. But the whole notion of going into a record store and flipping, you know, maybe you're looking for a couple of specific things, but going through and flipping through and coming across something you've never seen before or something you kind of forgot that you loved or something that piques your interest. I mean, we've all bought records just based on the cover alone, right? Yeah. I'm like, I got three bucks. I'll roll the dice on. Yeah. this sometimes it doesn't pay off but sometimes it's, <laughs> but that that whole experience that the the joy of flipping through the stacks and seeing what's out there which is why at your store the new arrival bin is always the hot destination first but then people can make their way through the entire epic store you've recently decided to pull the plug on online ordering from the store and i understand why but i want to hear it in your words but i think a big part of it is because you also understand the nature of that experience like you can buy the yeah. record online but but Coming into the store, if you're a record fan, if you're a music fan, there's not really another experience like it. Right. And the idea of online sales is, is you know, and, and there's kind of a, um, and people that are record collectors understand Discogs and they understand buying stuff off of eBay and all these other alternative ways and uh, being able to get collectible music with that and stuff. And that's a different experience. Um, the reason we pulled online sales and pulled not selling records in, uh, online anymore is the fact that our goal is that we want you to come in the store. Mm -hmm. The magic is all about flipping through the bins, seeing the records, pulling it out and all that stuff. And I've always had a hard problem with online because you're not selling common records online. You're selling the cool records online. Mm -hmm. And if you're selling the cool records online, what are you telling the people that come to the store? You know that uh, well. You know you can buy the common stuff, but all the all the all the really cool stuff we're gonna sell that because we can get a couple more bucks right. than from you with that. And I've never liked that. I mean, to me, with this, if you're gonna take the really cool stuff and take it out of the store and sell it online, it's not good. I mean, it's 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 not. Uh, and uh, for me, I started a record store because I wanted to have a fun place that you could have uh, enjoyable time finding records that were really cool and that you could buy and uh, that you could be able to talk to other people that do have the same hobby with that. And that's what it's all about. It's all about the in-store experience. And, and uh, you know, like I say, uh, as my saying goes, you want to make a million dollars in the record business, start with two million. <laughs> <laughs> because... Because nobody gets uh, starts a record store because of the fact they're going to make a whole bunch of money. You start a record store because it's a lifestyle business, and it's one of those things you love and you're passionate about. I mean, the other stuff, it just does not matter with that. And to me with this, I mean, my commitment to my customers is that they will always get the best that we get. They'll always have a chance to buy anything that we come in the store. Now, once in a while, a very small remote time, I will happen to take something home if it's really, really nice. It's yeah. collectible that I don't have. But 
doesn't happen very often. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's true. I've seen your love of forty fives is so deep, and we we got a couple of weird, rare ones in a few weeks ago. And there was that one from the sixties. The song was called "Nervous Breakdown." I can't right. remember the name of the band. Oh yeah, but we put it on, and everybody's heads turned around because it was this gorgeous, mm. dark, bizarre swath of sixties garage rock psychedelia. And we all looked at it, and Rob just pulled it off the turntable and popped it right over into the private staff right there. And, <laughs> <laughs> Which, but you know what? Here's the deal. It's your record store. You bought that record. You yeah, Willy Wonka like, gets to take you know the, all the chocolate he wants. But, but guess what? Even when he does, there's still more than enough left for everybody. Uh, I really do mean what I say about the quality of the record store and how much I enjoy working there. Rob, thank well, you very thank much you. for coming in, man. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Thanks for and having us. We're going to have you back again because I know you've got some other irons in the fire that I'm very excited to talk about. Well, we are. We, we I'll just mention with us. I am in the process of starting a reissue label, which is a record label with this, which is going to focus on a lot of power pop and a lot of indie rock. Yay! So (laughs) next time, once that's up and running and once you've got a better idea of exactly what that's going to look like, we'll have you back on to talk about that. And maybe for those who are into very specific niches and throwing your life away, uh, maybe we'll talk about collecting 45s, which is a whole other world unto itself. Collecting collecting 45s is really a rabbit hole that once you go down it, in Uh in fact, I I think I tweeted a picture of you with a handful of 45s saying he's going down the rabbit hole. And Uh what's interesting is he's starting to buy more and more. You know, I only know enough to be dangerous to myself. Like, you can look at it and be like, oh, original pressing. Oh, these guys, they did that and that and that. And I'm like, I don't know. This looks cool. The song song is called Sunshine Daydream, so I'm buying it. I don't know. That's kind of the extent of my expertise. Uh, I want to thank audio quip and audioquip.com without them we don't have the lovely equipment we have here right now all of our patreon members thank you very very much for staying with us and if you're not a patreon member and you'd like to know more about it what potential benefits there might be well early on we were going to have a live performance every month for everybody but uh, of course there are no live performances but we'll get back to that as soon as possible. If you want to know more about our Patreon account, patreon.com slash Brian Oak Show. Uh, Sean, have a good one. I'll see you in a few days. You too. That was really fun today. Thanks again, Rob. And Thank Rob, you. I'll see you at the shop tomorrow. All right. See you then. All right. Very good. It is uh, millcitysound.com if you want to find out more. And Hopkins may sound like it's far away. It's not. It's literally 10 minutes outside of downtown, and you should swing by sometime and say hello. And we can't let you go without... Telling you telling us why you chose this for our final song on the Brian Oak Show. Warren Zevon? Warren Zevon, Lawyers, Guns, and Money. Because you know what? There are some songs in rock and roll, and it's all about attitude. There's not a better song about attitude than Lawyers, Guns, and Money with them.
And my 